Hey, I'm Noble. Thanks for checking out the message today. I'm so thankful that you're here and we would love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97000. You can also go through our website and find out more about us and see what we have coming up. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go to the giving tab at the top of the page. I just want to thank you for being with us today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Uh, We continue our study in Revelation. Uh, And I feel like every generation, when we look around at our culture, every generation has said we are living in unprecedented, interesting, and hard times, right? Every single one. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, financial crises, job shortages, COVID, crime. This generation just doesn't know what they're doing. And on and on and on, right? We just, every generation has been there. However, there is something interesting recently that we've been seeing that I don't know that I've seen. I'm, I'll be 45 in a couple weeks, and um, I don't know that I've seen it before, but we just aren't, pers- aren't, aren't um, prosecuting some crimes anymore, are we? We're just like letting people do what they want to do. Drugs are being legalized in some states, and it's not just marijuana. Even hard drugs have been, mar- have, have been legalized in some states, and death rates have gone up. I don't know why people thought that would be a good idea to legalize hard drugs, but that's what happened, and it's been sad to watch. Theft under $950 in California. Be careful. I'm from there. It's good to be from there, not living there, but it is, it is where it is. But theft under $950 in California and other states have different statutes as well. It's no longer being prosecuted. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. I'm sure you have, though. It's all over the news. Videos of people just walking through stores with bags, grabbing stuff off the shelves, like just literally bag stuff into bags and walking out unscathed. People are taking plenty of video, but they've got masks on. Nobody can see who they are, and people are walking out of stores with as long as it's under 950 bucks, you don't get prosecuted. Then groups of people running into stores, Apple Store, Louis Vuitton, Home Depot. It's just smash and grab. They have like 30, 40 people running at once in a coordinated effort, running to stores, grab stuff, and it's gone. People don't know what to do. Some people try to stop them, but then people get hurt. And a lot of stores are saying, look, just don't stop them because the reality is you, it's, your stuff is not worth your life. And they're not wrong about that. It's even crazier. In California, people, especially in the Bay Area, are now parking downtown in their cars, and they're rolling down the windows of their cars and leaving the window doors open to let people know there's nothing worth value of stealing in the car. Don't smash my windows is pretty much what they're saying, right? It's gotten that bad. Walgreens in San Francisco, as well as many other businesses, are closing because of so much theft. Walmart has closed many stores in Portland, Oregon. Home Depot items are now showing up at flea markets with the tags still on them. I don't know if you've seen videos about this, but what happens in you when you, when you see those videos? I know what happens in me. I was, get them. What's the problem? What's going on? This is dumb. What is, why are we allowing this to happen? We long for justice. And today we are winding up, we're beginning to wind up our series in the book of Revelation um, we got about two or three, maybe two weeks, three weeks left, something like that. Again, if you have questions, I can't tell you enough, text the word Revelation to 97,000. Um, if you have questions as we keep digging into this book, please let us know. I'd love to, be, I'd love to, to answer some questions. I got some questions this week. I'm looking forward to having some conversations. Um, but it's, it's great. I love to have those questions. And questions are going to come up. 
But I got to say, I'm a little, I'm not going to say frustrated, but I'm a little miffed. So two weeks ago, I'm speaking through the Antichrist, the fall of Babylon, incarnate evil. Roy comes last week and he gets the millennium. I mean, it's at least, it's, I mean, Jesus is reigning, right? He gets to talk about that. Guess what I get this week? The final judgment. Bum, bum, bum. It's like every week, Josh speaks, well, this is going to be horrible. No, I mean, that's, it's kind of, the, I mean, but that's the book of Revelation at this point. It's, it's winding up and we're getting going. By the way, Roy did a great job last week. I appreciate him being here. I was grateful for him. Um, but maybe we, I mean, that's part of the reason why we're in black today, right? Because it's the final judgment. But, um, but the reality is we long for justice when we see crime, when we see any, like, we'll watch some YouTube videos about police chases and stuff and, you know, we long for justice. But the reality is this. God will judge wrongdoers. God will judge those that sin. I know this isn't necessarily a fun topic to be considering. Because we're going to be talking about the doctrines of judgment and hell today. But if we don't talk about it, nobody knows about it. We have to understand what the Bible teaches about this. And I've said it many different times. That how you view this doctrine, what you think about this, determines how big of a God you actually serve. Is the God you serve the God who is actually there? Or is he simply the big guy upstairs meant to cater to your every whim? Does he exist for you or do you exist for him? See, many people have tried to explain and or explain away the doctrine of hell. Uh, Fedor Doyasevsky, the brothers Karamazov, that's what it is, asked the question, what is hell? I maintain that it is the suffering of being unable to love. Aldous Huxley said, maybe this world is another planet's hell. Maybe. Oscar Wilde said, we are each our own devil, and we make this world our hell. Hell is other people, Jean-Paul Sartre said. Then Edgar Allan Poe said, there are moments when even to the sober eye of reason, the world of our sad humanity may assume the semblance of hell. Victor Hugo said, an intelligent hell would be better than a stupid paradise. Hmm. Ludwig Wittgenstein, that's a cool name. Hell isn't other people, hell is yourself. In other words, hell is a creation of humanity. You make your own hell. And that means you can get out of your own hell. I would say that you can have a form of hell on earth, sure, but because, because life can be extremely hard and it can be difficult. However, that is not the hell, of, hell that is spoken of in Scripture. And the hell spoken of in Scripture is billions of times more intense and terrible. Do you know that Jesus spoke about hell more than any other person in the Bible? The Greek word for hell is Gehenna, and it's found 12 times in the New Testament, and Jesus used the word 11 times. Listen to some of Jesus' words here. It won't be on the screen. I just want you to hear it. Matthew 11, or sorry, Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Luke 12, 5, but I will warn you, that to, warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 18, 9, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Mark 9, 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Mark 9, 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Matthew 25, 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for, his, for the devil and his angels. Jesus spoke a lot about hell. Commentator Don Whitney states that Jesus taught from Matthew 25 that hell is real. Hell is separation from God. Hell is for all the accursed ones. Hell is eternal. Hell is fire. Hell is a prepared place. Hell is eternity with devil and his angels. Hell is inevitable if you never come to Christ. Hell is inescapable once you are there. And hell is avoidable if you will repent in and believe in Jesus Christ. It's avoidable. Some have tried to say that Jesus has saved everyone and everybody's going to go to heaven. That no one will go to hell. Jesus clearly believed that there was a hell. It's why he died. It's why he died. We try, there's so many people trying to explain away this doctrine of hell as though it's not a big deal and, and sin isn't a big deal or Jesus just wiped the slate clean for everybody. No, he says you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You have to have, actually have to come to Jesus Christ. <coughs> some, there's, some still believe that, there are those, that, Jesus, that those don't believe in Jesus, they'll be annihilated. As though at the end of time... If this, your soul's actually ceasing to exist. You're done. But the Bible continually teaches about eternal punishment and judgment for those that don't come to Jesus, which we'll see today. I've heard the question often too, if God is so good, why would he send anyone to hell? Heard that a lot. But the premise of that question is incorrect. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose it. We choose it. I mean, think about it. When a person is judged in a court of law, did the judge cause them to do the things that brought judgment upon them? The judge did not cause them to do those things. Would they suffer the penalty of their crime if they hadn't done it? Not if the judge is fair. Not if the judge is just. I mean, when a judge sent the Boston Marathon bomber to the death penalty, do we blame the judge for what happened? No, we don't. See, the, this question assumes that sin isn't a big deal. Because the reality is people, all, all, every person, people are already headed to hell. They're already on their way because of the choice to sin. Because they chose they didn't want God. And it's a choice we all must make. If you don't want God, you don't have to have him. He will give you what you want. However, as we see today, the consequences of this choice are absolutely horrific. We may think it's okay on earth. It's not okay at the end of all days. But again, people assume sin isn't a big deal. The, the crime doesn't fit the, or the penalty doesn't fit the crime. I mean, we're just having fun, right, for the most part. Many of us in this room know the effects of sin, don't we? We've had it destroy people we love. Families we love. Relationships we cherish. 
and maybe it's brought destruction to your own life. You have to understand something this morning. Sin brings death every single time. Every single time it brings death. Sin is actually an insurrection against the holy God that has called you to be his son or daughter. He's called you to his family and you say, I don't give a rip. I hate you. I don't want you. I'm going to do what I want. This isn't the slap on the back of a hand saying, oh, I don't like you. This is a full-on punch to the king of kings and the lord of lords. How do you think a king's going to respond to getting punched in the face? That's the reality of what sin is. Russell Moore, pastor, says this, hell is the final handing over of the rebel to who he wants to be. And it's awful. The sinner in hell does not become morally neutral. It's not like once you die, all of a sudden you're morally neutral and all, all, of, all of the, what you've done has gone out the window. God would not be a just judge at that point. We must not imagine the damned displaying gospel repentance and longing for the presence of Christ. They do not in hell love the Lord their God with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Instead, in hell, one is now handed over to the full display of his nature apart from grace. And this nature is seen to be satanic. The condemnation continues forever and ever because the sin does too. I know we're going to walk out of here feeling really great today, aren't we? My friends, we can hang on to this. God will judge sin. And there are two judgments that are going to happen at the end of all days. At the end of the tribulation, at the end of the millennium. Well, one judgment is going to happen during the tribulation. The other one's going to happen at the end of the millennium. But the first one that we have to understand is called the Bema Seat Judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will stand before Christ and be judged. But there are two very different outcomes of these judgments. The first is the Bema Seat. Romans 14, 10 to 12 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. John 5, 22 says, for the father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the son. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then in Luke 19, it talks about how the king is returning and he's going to require an account of everyone's actions, both good and bad. The actions of his servants. This judgment seat, the Bema seat, is a judgment for those who have accepted Christ as their savior Everyone's going to be judged, including those that have accepted Christ as their Savior. But this judgment does not determine any punishment, the Bema Seat. Isaiah 53, 5, I love this. Why? Because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. My friends, if you know Christ today, you will not be judged for punishment. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? If you know Jesus this morning, this judgment does not bring punishment upon you. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Hallelujah. The cross of Christ overcomes it all. If we choose him, if we choose him. But this judgment is a judgment 
of how we lived in order to determine our reward before Jesus, not our punishment. It's called a bema seat because the bema seat is a Greek word, bema. It was a raised platform which judges used to sit before games. Their job was to make sure the rules were followed, and then they bestowed awards on the victors. What I see in Scripture, I believe this judgment's going to happen in heaven during the time of the tribulation. This is another one of those things where we differ as location pastors, where there's a lot of different people that think about, think about it in different ways. I could be wrong about that. I think it's going to happen during the tribulation, because I believe in a pre-tribulation, a rapture, the church, everybody who knows Jesus will be in heaven um, before the tribulation starts. That's what I believe. Other people believe differently. I've jokingly said earlier in our series that, um, let's see, the pastors of Waterford and um, Lake Orion and Grand Blanc, we're all pre-tribbers, so we're out of here. And then in mid-trib, I think a couple other of our locations join us, and then, you know, it just kind of goes along from there. Just that, that we have different opinions of, of when we're going to be raptured. You know, I love it. So what I, one of the things I love about our church is that we major on the majors, and we jokingly rib each other about the minors. <laughs> it's, a, it's great. It's great. Because we got, it's Jesus and him crucified, right? That's what it's about. It's got to be about him. But Paul also describes this scene in 1 Corinthians 10, 3, 10 to 15. It's important that we see it. A lot of scripture today, guys. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I had laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. Notice that word is day is capitalized. He's meaning the judgment day. For that day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Those that know Jesus will be judged according to their actions, and their reward will be determined by the Bema Seat judgment. Salvation is not lost, but we may understand that we could have done more for our God. I said this to staff this last week, and I, I've, always, I've always had this picture of in this moment when I'm looking at Jesus, you know, and it's going to be personal. I believe it's going to be personal for all of us. And it's probably going to happen to all of us at the same time because, well, God's omnipresent. He can do that kind of stuff. Um, But our works are going to be judged. My works are going to be judged. And in that moment, there's going to be hopefully something left. But I'm also going to look at it and go, I could have done more. But in that moment, I also know the heart of my Savior. And he'll lift up my head. Remind me, well done, good, faithful servant. And then I'll just be focused on him. It's not about my rewards. It's about being in his presence. But that's what the Bema Seed is about. Is the reward that followers of Jesus will receive. So we come to our passage today in the book of Revelation. John MacArthur has called this passage the most serious, sobering, and tragic passage in the entire Bible. And I agree with him on this one. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 11 to 15. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. It'll be on the screen behind me if you would like to download the River Church app. We also have the Bible in that as well. 
Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 15 says this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is known as the great white throne judgment, the final judgment of sin. The very final judgment of sin. This is it. I mean, even earth and sky flee from the presence of the one that sits on the throne, whose name is above every name, and every knee will bow at his name, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is power and purity in this judgment of God. So who will be judged at this great white throne? All of the wicked and the unrepentant will stand before this throne of Jesus. Everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, this is anyone who does not know Jesus as their Savior, that dies without knowing Christ as their Savior. They've rejected Jesus as their Savior. Jesus gives them exactly what they wanted. None of him. There are those that chose not to follow and chose to live their life one way and worship themselves rather than follow the one true God. No one that followed Jesus and accepted his gift of salvation will be a part of this judgment, though. No one who accepted Christ will be part of this judgment. It says the great and the small will be judged here. Emperors Nero and Domitian, two of the most brutal emperors of all time, they will be judged at this judgment for what they did. Alexander the Great, Hitler, Stalin, These names will be judged at this punishment. Presuming they didn't know Jesus. Now, again, that's always above my pay grade. But we know their fruit. I don't believe they knew the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, just hear some of what God has to say about this judgment. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus speaking, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Luke 8, 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. The Bible tells you this morning, and I want you to hear this, Beware your sin will find you out. Every secret thing will be revealed. I want to encourage you this morning, though, if you're struggling in an area, Jesus already knows. You're not fooling him. Give it to him today. Give it to him. You don't have to suffer with that anymore. Romans 2.16, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. See, each one in this judgment is going to be judged according to what they've done, according to what was written in the books. That means our, it's like a story of our life. Right? Written down in the books of God. Something we have to understand, though, is we can read this and go, man, this is intense and it's serious. And Why would God do this? You know what? The book of Revelation brings responsibility. 
The book of Revelation brings responsibility. It brings accountability. We're, we're, we're responsible, and we will be held accountable for the actions that we perform, both done in public and done in private. There are consequences to our decisions. There are consequences to our actions. There really and truly are. And the consequence of sin is always death. Hear me this morning. The consequence of sin is always death. Whether it's in our life, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in a job, whether it's in finances, I don't care what it is. Sin brings death every single time. It's fun for a season, otherwise we wouldn't be tempted to do it. But it brings death. But God's gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ. It's through him. The question of all of this is, who's going to bear the penalty for your sin? Those that reject Jesus and don't want him will stand at this judgment and bear the full weight of responsibility of what they did in their lives. You don't have to be there. You don't. Choose Jesus. Randy Alcorn says this, the unbeliever's wish to be away from God turns out to be their worst nightmare. Everyone is judged according to their actions and they will be judged fairly. Punish will be, punishment will be severe, but it will not necessarily be the same. We see in verse 15 that anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. And since Jesus is judging everybody's acts and they'll be judged according to their acts, there's going to be varying, varying degrees of judgment on that day. I mean, the lake of fire is a lake of fire. It's going to be bad. But some people will have it worse than others. The day of the Lord, judgment day, the great white throne judgment is coming. There is no way to avoid it. No way. Hebrews 9, 27, and justice is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. See, this judgment is coming whether we believe it or not. See, that's the thing. This judgment is coming whether we believe it or not. And this is the God that revealed himself in Scripture. He revealed this to us for a reason, so that we can know him, so that we can know the Savior that will keep us from this judgment. And I don't stand up here this morning to try to scare anyone. I do hope to bring sobriety to us. I do hope to bring reality to us. Because, again, if we stand up here and just talk about God as love, which he fully is, as forgiving, which he very much is, as uh, the savior of our souls, which he absolutely is, we miss why he is all those things. Because he is also just, he is also jealous, he is also holy, and he will bring judgment to sin. I've said so many times, if you think sin isn't a big deal to God, look at the judgment that he brings upon it. It is an affront to him. If it wasn't, why would his son have had to die? See, if we see sin and judgment as small, the cross doesn't even matter. But man, if we understand the intensity of the judgment of God, the cross stands above it all. 
The blood of Christ can cover you. He died in your place so that you don't have to bear the weight of the punishment of your sin. So I have to ask you a question this morning. What do you really believe about Jesus today? What do you really believe? Not what you want to believe, not what you think you believe, but what do you actually believe about Jesus Christ today? What do you really believe? We've been looking for him all through Revelation. Do you believe in him? Do you really believe in him? I realize it's a tough topic. And honestly, there is nothing to be afraid of. Not for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to be afraid of. God has provided a way. The choice is yours. Man, we really don't love to talk about hell today. I've said that before. We don't want to talk about judgment. I got to tell you, it's not like as I was preparing this message, I was screaming and going, let's go, woohoo, here we go, let's talk about judgment, baby. That was not the way I was in my office this week. Dorothy Sayers, close friend of C.S. Lewis, said this. There seems to be a kind of conspiracy, especially among middle-aged writers of vaguely liberal tendency. This is in the 1950s. To forget or to conceal where the doctrine of hell comes from. One finds frequent references to the cruel and abominable doctrine of hell or the childish and grotesque medieval imagery of physical fire and worms. But the case is quite otherwise. Let us face the facts. The doctrine of hell is not medieval. It is Christ's. It's not a device of medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church, which people think all the time. You're just trying to scare people to give money to the church. That's not what this is about. Otherwise, we'd put the offering right after this. I'm kidding. We're not doing that. Um, It's not about giving money to the church. It's Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. The imagery of the undying worm and the unquenchable fire derives not from medieval superstition, but originally from the prophet Isaiah, and it was Christ who emphatically used it well. One cannot get rid of it without tearing the New Testament to tatters. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. I want to tell you something. As I was preparing this week, there were a lot of tears shed in my office. To consider what the destination is for some of you sitting here this morning. It breaks my heart. Because if you would just call on the name of Jesus, you would be saved and you'd be spared. And so I want to tell you, from the depths of my being, from as much heart as I can share with you this morning, will you hear me today? Repent and come to the name of Jesus. Come to the cross. And he will forgive you. Stop playing games. Come to Jesus this morning. You don't have to be here. He will save you. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But then those of us that know Jesus, what does this do to your heart? What does this do to your heart when you hear about this kind of a judgment? Do you actually believe this? Francis Chan penned these words in his book, Erasing Hell. And he speaks my heart, and I couldn't say it better myself, so I'm going to read it, and I want you to hear it. And do you believe this? Francis says, Hell is an ongoing state of punishment for all who don't love Jesus. 
what causes my heart to ache right now as I'm writing this is that my life shows little evidence that I actually believe this. Every time my thoughts wander to the future of unbelievers, I quickly brush them aside so they don't ruin my day. But there is a reality here that I can't ignore. Even as the conversations of people around me fill my ears, the truth of Scripture penetrates my heart with sobering statements about their destinies. We can talk about the fate of some hypothetical person, but as I look up and see their smiles, I have to ask myself, if I really believe what I've written in this book, hell is for real. Am I? I would love to think, as some suggested, that the Bible doesn't actually say a whole lot about hell. I would love to stare at my friend's face when he asked that question we all fear. Do you think I'm going to hell? And say, no, there is no such place. Jesus loves you and wants to heal your pain and turn your sorrows into gladness. But the New Testament writers didn't have this same allergic reaction to hell as I do. Perhaps they had a high view of God that is much bigger of mine. A view of God that takes him at his word and doesn't try to make him fit our own moral standards and human sense sentimentality, a view of God that believes what he says, even when it doesn't make perfect sense to us. The writer of Hebrews sums this all up. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood for not, that not, is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he himself has appeared once for all, At the end of ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I have to ask again, what do you really believe about Jesus today? What do you really believe about Jesus today? Because the weight of our sin is going to either be on your shoulders or it's going to be on the shoulders of one who bore them at the cross. We can be part of one of two judgments. Which one will you be a part of? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, where you sit, if, and I'm not one that believes that everybody has this moment in time, I believe, I mean, for me, I remember. I was three years old, I went into my mom's sewing room, and I said, Mom, I don't want to go to hell, how do I get Jesus in my heart? I remember it. God has given me that memory. And then in kindergarten, I wasn't quite sure that one took, so in kindergarten, I made sure the first day of class that I accept Jesus as my Savior. I have been far from perfect. But I have a Savior who is perfect and covers up my sin. And he is my king. 
But I'm not one that believes you. Everybody has that moment. Maybe it was over a period of time that you began to understand who Jesus was. And you said, look, he is my Savior. He is my King. I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. And you know what the Bible says about that? You will be saved. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because if you don't this morning, there's a great chance that you do not know him as Savior, that you've just paid him lip service, that you just come to church trying to be a Christian because you think that's what a Christian does. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you think in any way that you're going to be good enough to overcome this judgment, you don't know Jesus. Because it's all about him, it's not about us. It is by grace we've been saved through faith, and this not of works, so that we can't boast about it, Ephesians chapter 2. There is no scale that you can be good enough to be in heaven one day. But there is a Savior who can cover your sin so that when judgment comes, he is what is seen, not your sin. What do you say about Jesus today? What do you really believe about Jesus today? Jesus follower, what do you really believe about Jesus today? Do you believe what we've talked about? Now, my friend, it's time to talk to that neighbor. It's time to get over the fact that in reality, a little bit of uncomfortable is a lot better than not seeing someone you love in heaven one day. Let people know who Jesus is. Are you going to go stand on a street corner and thump a Bible? I hope not. But what you can do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and look for every opportunity to be able to tell people about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So what do you really believe about Jesus today? I pray he'll be magnified in our lives. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus or has questions about anything I talked about, I'm going to be hanging out. Text Revelation to 97,000. There's people in the back who would love to speak with you. Man, get your questions answered because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Don't wait. Let's pray.